0: This is Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission.
1: Welcome to Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission. This is where you can find out all you need or want to know about Downtown Halifax. I'm Ivy Ho, Director of Communications with Downtown Halifax Business Commission.
2: And I'm Alana McDonald Mills, Director of Marketing. Ivy and I will be your hosts for Downtown Lowdown and we'll be giving you the lowdown on what's new in business, events, development and issues that affect downtown. In each episode, we'll also talk to individuals that are key players that work to make downtown better. Welcome to the Downtown Lowdown. It's episode four. We're doing it. We're halfway through October. We're coming up to Halloween already. I know. We have a really exciting episode. If this is the first episode that you've listened to, then you are in luck. What do we have on the episode today? We have Paul
1: McKinnon, Executive Director of Downtown Halifax Business Commission and Defender of the Downtown. Uh, We've been trying to get him for the podcast for weeks, and we finally got him. And you'd think it would be easy because his office is right next to mine, but no. He's been on vacation. He was was sick. uh, But we finally have him uh, talking about the strategic plan. And highlights from our AGM in June. And so, yeah, we'll be introducing that strategic plan in our podcast. Sounds exciting. It is. It's actually <laughs> more exciting than it sounds. <laughs> it's not as dry as people think. <laughs> Plus, we have an interview with Frank Palermo. Frank is uh, one of the founding members of Leading with Transit. And we have a very interesting conversation with him about the role of transit in our lives.
2: And then after that, we have Biz Buzz, but CUDA is gone. She oh, has very sad taken off to do her MBA. So we have Ethan Craig and he is our communications and marketing coordinator. Yay. We'll be leading this uh, section this week. Morgan Mullen is back with the coast top five events for the weeks of October twenty second to November fourth. And we have a quick update on the Halifax Lights Festival and the holiday gift guides. So a jam packed episode. Lots of fun. Exciting. Let's get going. Okay, let's go. Music.
1: We have Paul McKinnon, Executive Director with Downtown Halifax Business Commission joining us today. Uh, Downtown Halifax Business Commission or DHBC has just completed a strategic plan process last spring and Paul will be telling us all about it. So welcome, Paul. Welcome to Downtown Lowdown. Your oh, first episode.
0: It's great to be here. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of this podcast.
1: A, you're a number one fan, actually. Yeah, I think be, so. Yeah. I you yeah. think you've listened to you know the first episode like 50 million times.
0: I, I listened to it quite a bit. I could uh, yeah, it was great. But this one's probably going to be even better than that one. That's my guess.
1: It definitely because you're on it. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's get started. Okay. Um, so for those who aren't familiar with the concept of a strategic plan. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about it?
0: Sure, uh, I will try anyway. Okay. Um, and as I was, I was thinking about this um, about strategic plans and, and strategy, I was thinking about an incident which I remembered, uh, which was during I think it was during the, well it was during the 2008 presidential uh, one of the candidates' forums between uh, candidates uh, John McCain and, and Barack Obama, uh, and it, I think it was the foreign policy one. And John McCain was trying to get this little dig in because he had ex, you know extensive experience in, in foreign affairs, and he kept you know saying to uh, to Barack Obama, "You don't understand the difference between strategy and tactics." Mm-hmm. Uh, which actually worked as a a great line, uh, ended up not mattering that much in the election, I guess. Um, But there is a difference between them. And I remember watching that thinking, hmm, I'm not sure that I really know what the difference is between strategy and tactics. Um, But they are very different. And uh, and certainly the strategic plan kind of bears that out. and, And strategy really is about, you know, what is it you want to accomplish? Where do you want to go? And then tactics are the things that you do to get there. And so the tactics are kind of the things that we do as an organization every day. But the strategic plan really lays out, you know, what do we want to do as an organization? Where do we want to get to? What do we want to accomplish? Yeah, and usually over a specific period of time.
1: So it's um, a longer-term kind of path for the organization.
0: Exactly, yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of a direction that you've set. And, and usually it's, it, it doesn't need to be time-limited, although typically strategic plans are usually three to five years. Um, I find increasingly they're, they're shorter just because the environment changes so fast. So uh, our current one is a, is a three-year plan. Uh, and typically there's a, a specific framework um, that you work with with a strategic plan and it has, you know, very specific components and, and certainly ours is, is like that as well. Um, so you usually have a, a vision, you usually have a mission, and then you kind of break your plan down into other strategic priorities, goals and objectives, uh, measurables. It can all kind of sound a bit boring, but, but the terminology is actually really important because they all do mean different things and link together. So, for instance, uh, you know, vision is, um, at least the way that we articulate it, is the thing that we do kind of every day. It's, it's the thing that this organization has always done always will do so our vision we decided in this plan was to passionately pursue a more prosperous and vibrant downtown Um, and that's what this organization did 20 years ago it's what we'll be doing 20 years from now so the vision is different than the mission the mission is really tied to the length of the plan so we've got a three-year plan and our mission we decided was to become Canada's favorite downtown so if we're successful in three years time we will be Canada's favorite downtown and ideally we'll try and measure that somehow perhaps by the number of people listening to this podcast about downtown Halifax uh, or maybe some other way.
1: Well, we're going to need to accomplish all of this with the podcast, right? Exactly. <laughs> Everything will be
0: done through the podcast. That's, our, that's, our, main, that's right. our main tactic.
1: So why is it important for DHPC to have a strategic plan?
0: Well, it's, it's important, really, for any organization, uh, but I think uh, especially for uh, an organization like DHBC, simply because we're a membership-based organization, and so we've got 1,600 uh, members. Um, they're all businesses and, and landlords that are downtown, and so ultimately, we're responsible and accountable to those members, but as you can imagine, with 1,600 you know, different opinions about what we should be doing, how we, we should be doing it, uh, really, the, the plan articulates you know what we are going to focus on, what, you know through a process we've decided, is important, and, and what we're going to focus our energies because, you know, there's a million different things we could do. If we doubled, tripled, quadrupled our budget, we could still do more things um, related to downtown. There's there's all sorts of great things that we aren't doing simply because of of lack of resources or or just lack of time. And so the plan really does articulate what you're doing. And so sort of what we ask for our membership is is once the plan is in place, you know, we want to be held accountable to what's in the plan. What we've said we're going to do, hold us accountable to that, uh, but not necessarily to things that, that aren't in the plan. Uh, and I think it works the same way at the organizational level uh, because we have a, a great team here at, at DHBC. They're very talented, smart, good-looking, extremely humble. Oh, as so you know. good-looking. Yeah. Uh, this is the base. It. <laughs> it's a requirement for for being here, but yeah. you know we all report for, to a board, and, and the board you know kind of comes in um, on an intermittent basis, once a month for meetings, uh, and so they're they're having you know one of their main jobs is to is to hold the staff accountable for what we're doing, and and again the the plan kind of sets that framework, you know this is what we this is the way our performance would be judged, not on uh, not on other things.
1: So before we dig deeper into the plan itself, and you mentioned members and staff, can you tell tell us a little bit more about how the process went, how we developed the strategic plan
0: I can I remember most of it (laughs) um so for this plan, we decided it was important to have some help with this, kind of a really a facilitator process, uh, which, which is, is useful because it allows kind of everyone to step back and, and just kind of look at it from a bit of a 10,000-foot uh, level. And so we hired a, a woman named Chris Hornberger, who was very experienced in, in doing these plans. It was great to work with. A little free plug for Chris, uh, but um, but she did a great job. And the facilitated process you know, had a number of steps. So as I mentioned, it was kind of the main framework. We kind of knew what we were going to end up with. But she held a, a whole number of uh, facilitated sessions, so she sat down and had a session with 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 us as a team, did one with the board, um, did one with the staff and the board together uh, and then she had a number of focus groups as well and so we took our membership, kind of broke it down into sectors so she had a a meeting with a a number of retailers, a meeting with a bunch of restaurants, one with, with landlords. Uh, and then, what was new in this plan is we also sat down and talked to downtown residents uh, because even though they're not officially part of our membership, um, you know the residential base downtown is growing. We knew we know that what we do impacts residents that they have a obviously an interest in, in saying what's happening downtown. So we incorporated residents and, and talked to them about how they saw the organization and, and what they'd like us to do. Uh, and we also talked to partner organizations, so not necessarily members, but uh, but other organizations in the city that we do a lot of work with, just to kind of get their opinion about what they thought we should be focusing on. Um, and so all the questions uh, around there were, were kind of focused around what, you know, what should the organization be doing over the next three years, what are those important priorities. And so then what Chris did was to kind of took all that information and then put it into the framework, uh, which eventually went through a couple of iterations um, with the board and, and ultimately was approved by the board uh, last spring and then uh, taken to the membership at the AGM and presented there.
1: So we've had uh, strategic plans before. DHBC has had uh, strategic plans uh, before, previously. What are the biggest changes um, from with this strategic plan and the previous strategic plans?
0: Yeah, every plan is, is unique in its own way because things things do change. Uh, this one was uh, is a three-year... I think it's the second time we've done a three-year plan. Prior to that, we've done five-year ones. But a couple of things that... that came to mind in terms of what's changed with this one. Uh, one is that uh, terminology on urban issues is always evolving, and, and that's I think really reflected in this plan. So for instance, you know we didn't talk so much about transit or transportation as much as we use this, this newer term, urban mobility, which really encompasses all of it. There's so many things happening downtown, you know, transit, bike lanes, you know, uh, electronic scooters, there's a lot of disruptive new technology we know that's coming, and that's, that all goes into, into this term of urban mobility. Um, so we talked about that. Um, we we used to talk a lot about beautification. Uh, now we talk about placemaking, which which is partly beautification, but it's actually much more than that. It's about programming and making a place uh, that's an amazing place that people want to be. And so that terminology, there's some terminology changes in this one, which I think were really good and important. Um, I think the feedback that we got from you know especially the the other partners as well as our own members was permission to think big. That you know the, the organization you know is is limited in terms of its regulatory power. We essentially have none. Um, but it was about you know what you you know I think what people told us was you know, we want you to take on bigger topics, get involved in bigger things uh, that that you can't necessarily address completely on your own. Uh, but form those partnerships and bring your expertise to the table and, and really step up as leaders. Um, so was
1: that a big surprise to you, or were there other surprises that came out of uh, the process? It wasn't. A, it
0: wasn't a huge surprise, but it was. It was very gratifying. I yeah. think that we've we've tried to do that. Um, a lot of of what we do is try to, you know, take on issues that are affecting our members. You know, whether it's it's huge issues like homelessness or you know affordable housing or or transportation. I mean, we have very little control over any of those things, uh, but they do have a major impact on our members. And so I think. Part of the struggle has been, you know, we need to go to those influencers uh, on those topics and say, hey, you know, we actually know a lot about um, these issues. Uh, We think we should be at the table when decisions are being made. Um, So it was was nice to hear that from other groups as well. We've always thought that we should be at the table, but I think other groups kind of recommended that that we should be as well. Uh, And the other one that was maybe it wasn't so much a surprise to... To us, I don't think, but it was to, to Chris, our facilitator, was the commitment to measurement, right? So that is a big part of, of certainly of our plan is we've we've established, you know, a number of measurables, and we're committed to actually measuring those. And she said that's actually not that common. A lot of uh, organizations will make these plans, and sometimes they follow them, sometimes they don't, but many times they don't worry about measuring it. Um, and our board certainly you know, put that as a high priority that we we want to know at the end of this three years. whether we've been successful.
1: So if I were a business downtown, why would I care about this strategic plan? How does it affect businesses downtown?
0: Well, uh, hopefully it'll affect all businesses and hopefully in in a positive way. And ultimately, again, that is who we are accountable to uh, and if we look at it, we had a, we spent a lot of time on the um, uh, on the mission part of our of our statement and it really what it, it talks about is both the prosperity and the vibrancy of downtown uh, and the prosperity piece is really about our businesses so ultimately we want you know any business downtown to be prosperous to, to make money if that's what they're doing uh, and then the vibrancy is about kind of that bigger picture about how do we make downtown just a better place you know for everyone whether you're a business here or a visitor or a resident and so it was kind of meant to be that fifty fifty split between you know you know the the prosperity of the business and the vibrancy. So not everything we do will will directly uh, benefit every business, but certainly over the course of the of the three year plan, uh, certainly that should have a positive impact uh, on those businesses, and that's 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 the reason why we wanted to to go back to the membership and really draw these these strategic priority areas you know, you know from the members themselves so that they could tell us. What was important so you know certainly fingers crossed if, if we do our job uh, uh, that this will be a benefit to, to every member and again it, it also articulates what we're doing um, and, and also what we're not doing.
1: Thank you Paul that was great um, it's a really good rundown of what the strategic plan is all about and how it affects businesses and if anybody wants a copy of uh, the strategic plan we have it in our uh, office at 1546 Barrington Street or you can uh, download it from our website at downtownhalifax.ca.
0: After this interview, I can't see how anyone would not want to have a copy of our
2: strategic it plan. Is a It is a page-turner, yeah, for it's, sure. It's pretty, too. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Thank you. And that was Paul McKinnon, Executive Director with Downtown Halifax Business Commission. You can follow Paul on Twitter at, at Downtown Paul.
1: We held our 2019 AGM back in June at Pickford & Black on the waterfront. During the AGM, we introduced the new strategic plan to our stakeholders, partners, and members. As part of the AGM, we had a panel of speakers who spoke on the five priorities listed in our strategic plan. Those five priorities, again, are DHBC leadership, urban mobility, good development, membership services, and downtown placemaking. The panel included Jennifer Angel, President and CEO of Develop Nova Scotia, Jacob Ritchie, former Urban Design Program Manager at Halifax Regional Municipality. Currently, he is the Director of Operations Services at the Halifax Regional School Board, and Ken Kelly, who is currently with International Downtown Association of Canada, but who was formerly the General Manager of Downtown Victoria Business Association and the Executive Director of Downtown Moncton, Sanserville, Inc., We are going to listen to a few highlights from that panel and if you would like to listen to the full panel, you can go to our website, downtownhalifax.ca slash podcast, and you will find a link under episode four to the
0: full panel. We're going to start with DHBC leadership. So one of the things that we do take pretty seriously with downtown Halifax is that we do want to be the leaders on all things downtown. We we feel that we are, uh, or at least we can fake our way through uh, anything that we don't know or find out the answer. Uh, and We do this in a number of ways, um, we, we really make a concerted effort uh, to educate ourselves, we do that through research, we do that through our involvement with, uh, with national and international organizations and connections, um, and we do that through attending conferences, uh, and we do that to, to position ourselves as leaders in this field so that we can be the <coughs> group that, that anyone can go to um, in terms of leadership in downtown Halifax and downtowns generally. So this first question uh, is for Jen and Jacob. Uh, please tell us, in your own words, how do you feel DHBC can best lead on downtown issues? Looks like Jen's going
3: first. Um, I, think, uh, I think I'd say two things. Uh, the first is that um, it's important to be connected uh, to other downtowns, and I think Paul and his team do a really good job um, kind of keeping their fingers on the pulse of what's happening in downtowns uh, across North America, certainly and even around the world, uh, because we are battling a lot of the same a lot of the same challenges. Uh, so having a bit of a global perspective in helping to uh, mitigate uh, downtown issues is important. Uh, but I think what's even more important is um, understanding your members, uh, understanding the businesses that you represent. Um, and, uh, and representing uh, and working at issues that are meaningful to them. Uh, and so in my time on the board um, at DHBC, that was, that was a key focus. So um, talk to your members. Make sure your members know you're there and that, and that they have a voice through you um, on, on
4: issues that matter. So on DHBC's leadership, I, I think that convener role is important, but you know, I spend a lot of time inside the bureaucracy, and what I know is that it's very easy when you're a bureaucrat in municipal or provincial or federal government to sit inside your office and not go outside much. Uh, In fact, it's encouraged a lot of the time. So what DHBC did for me when I was inside at HRM was pulled me out of the office, made sure I got to Barrington Street, Kim and Ivy and Paul, keeping connections to your bureaucrats, making sure they know the reality uh, that's being lived and that they don't stay in hiding. That's That's the biggest thing that DHBC was able to do for me Uh, and make sure I was staying connected to businesses, not just through the public meetings that I ran, where I had a name tag on, but also just through these uh, sort of events where you get to go out and meet people who are actually struggling through problems in the city.
0: So we're going to move on to urban mobility. Uh, And one of the fields that's that's really changing quickly is the field of transportation. So here in Halifax, we've long talked about cars and buses, and we still do. Uh, We've often wondered um, why we don't have more water-based transportation, or if we have the population density to support commuter rail. Uh, When you look out there in the world, mobility is is changing fast. We've got Segways, we've got Uber and Lyft, we've got autonomous autonomous vehicles, bike-share, share share, dockless scooters. These are things that are changing uh, how people get around in cities, um, and we expect to see accelerated changes. So I'd love to get the thoughts, and so this is a for all the panelists, so you can go in whatever order you'd like. Just give us your thoughts on, on how you see the future of mobility in Halifax, and particularly downtown.
4: I was thinking about this last night, because Paul said we were going to talk about mobility. <laughs> uh, there's a wonderful, I don't know, white paper, I guess, from a company called ARA. They're a large engineering firm that works around the world. And about four years ago, they sort of made the statement that, you know, these e-mobility solutions, the scooters, the rideshare, that's all great, and we need to focus on that. But really, the future is walking. Uh, We know that every trip, no matter what you're in or on, ends with a pedestrian journey, uh, whether you're walking to your car or from the parking lot to your business. And the future of mobility is walking and we need to design our cities for that. If we design for whatever's current today, it will only change. And if we learned one thing from the 1960s, it's that designing for cars meant we got ignored. So we need to design for walking, especially in a small compact downtown, and all the other things, the accoutrements, the scooters, the lift, the, that's all going to come, that will all go. Uh, but if we design the city well with spaces like the waterfront and like Argyle Street, then it'll be, pleasure- it'll be a pleasant experience for walkers and they'll be thought about when they're, when they're in the city and when they've solved that problem of where to park their vehicle or if they've just walked downtown on its own. So really, we can't get distracted with the bells and whistles and we need to focus on good design. Uh, which really comes when you think of the pedestrian first, because we're all pedestrians at some point in our day.
3: So I, I think the constant is change in mobility, and I think Jacob um, nailed it. Uh, we're all we're all pedestrians. Um, we're not all walking pedestrians. So I think the point that um, we're no longer building uh, cities for cars. In fact, we're spending a lot of our time undoing the, the work that's been done over the last 50 years, and Coswells' known, Congo is a good example of that. We we need to create uh, great walkable places, um, great uh, places for people, and uh, de-emphasize the use of the use of cars. Um, The other piece of that is transit. So if we if we truly want to um, have a, a culture of um, you know, high transit use and uh, you know healthy communities of people who are who are who are uh, using active transportation instead of cars. We need to make it easier for them, um, and we're not there yet. The IMP has the integrated mobility plan has some really strong ambitions, including that uh, at least 30% of people will be um, transiting using transit and. Um, and uh, active transportation. Um, it's good for your health, it's good for the environment, but we have a lot of work yet to do uh, in order to move people that way in, in our city.
0: So moving on to good development. So for a few decades, uh, between the 1980s right through to the 2000s, development was very difficult in downtown. Uh, at the same time, heritage protection was also fairly weak. For instance, we had no heritage districts and no demolition control to speak of. DHBC was one of the leading groups advocating for a new plan, and we finally got that in 2009 with HRM by Design. So we're now 10 years into that plan, unbelievably, uh, and it certainly has, been, uh, has seen success in terms of development. Uh, some of that development is kind of university acclaimed. You think about the library, which people love. Uh, some of that development has received more mixed reviews, but certainly we've had lots of development. Uh, we've lost some heritage assets, um, but we do have a heritage district buried in the street, and it's seen significant investment and preservation. And One of the things that we try to talk about with development is development isn't always just new buildings. It's heritage preservation and reinvestment as well. So ideally, we want to see both of those. Um, But we don't have the three uh, districts that we had indicated in 2009 that we should, not yet. So, I'm going to start with Jacob uh, on this one. Uh, Jacob, uh, can you give us your assessment of how well you feel HRM by Design has worked over the past 10 years? Uh, What maybe needs to be tweaked? Uh, And also, can you talk a bit about uh, what you feel the center Plan can achieve for downtown?
4: HRM by Design was a process that created our downtown plan. There's a semantic difference there that when I got to the city, was actually kind of important. People thought HRM by design was was the plan for downtown, but really HRM by design was a, a, an attempt to shift the mindset of the bureaucracy to actually think about design when approving buildings, not just in downtown Halifax, but throughout the whole regional center. And, and, and I think it has been incredibly successful in downtown because it's allowed us to get a lot of our vacant lots built. It's given people reasonable volume expectations for what uh, a piece of property can hold. And it, it, it helped us focus energy where we needed it. So the public investment that came in, we fixed Cornwallis Park, we put in the Oval, we invested in Argyle Street, Spring Garden Road is coming. So it's not just about what the plan does to open up private investment, but also where the public investment went. And I think the public investment in downtown is only about a 10th or even a 20th of the private investment that's gone into those buildings. But without that, without the ability of a private developer to see the municipality caring about the city, why would they invest, right? So it's that idea that we're partners in this. Downtown Plan was successful because it said this public investment happens, this public investment will happen. It told us to do the Cogswell project. And by giving that strong sign that the public was going to invest, it helped the private invest as well. And then the privates come on board with great buildings, and I think that's something, they're not all perfect, but the plan can't make a perfect building. We need to rely on developers and architects to make beautiful buildings. The plan opens up that envelope to let them happen.
0: Okay, Ken, this one's for you. Uh, so you worked in many Canadian cities, as you mentioned. Um, you're away from the Maritimes for a decade. Um, tell us what you think about the state of development in downtown Halifax, um, and, and what can we do better?
5: You've come a long way, baby. <laughs> You've not only saved historic buildings, but you've created some very attractive new development, infill development. I think, uh, you know, looking at other communities, looking at Victoria, where I worked for 13 years, sometimes city councils get worried on behalf of their residents. And they go, oh, my goodness, you know what, we don't want to let this in, but we've got to. And that's, the, that's where we are maybe in, in Halifax right now. Don't let the character and the quality slip between your fingers. It's all about that store level, street level experience keep the quality high on that. I know you can't legislate good design, but you've got to find the means of working with the developer, be it with zoning tools, incentives, whatever it is, just pride of city. You've got to do it. One thing that every city in this country and around the world has got to do better is to start waking up. We've got a climate crisis. Everything that, that is the future of downtown Halifax is going to hinge on how we individually and collectively as an organization, as your respective businesses deal with this climate, climate crisis. We have got a climate crisis. We've all got to wake up to that. And we as our business associations have got to play some sort of partnering leadership role. On to member
0: services. Um, so we're a member-driven organization uh, we have 1,600 uh, members in downtown Halifax. Everyone that's located in downtown Halifax is automatically a member. Uh, we were founded uh, through a voting process in 1987 uh, with the membership um, and this was, is this was kind of a unique model. It was invented in Toronto almost 50 years ago where businesses will vote to have a levy imposed upon them to go to an organization to reinvest back in the area to help them uh, improve the area and improve their businesses. And so we'll start with uh, with Jennifer. You already touched on this a little bit, um, but certainly I think back to the you know, there's four years when your 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 colleague again Gordon Stevens uh, was the chair of the DHBC board, and then you uh, succeeded him as, as the board chair. And certainly during that time there was a, a real refocus uh, back on the membership. One of the one of the advantages and disadvantages of this kind of organization is a lot of the businesses downtown don't know their members because. Uh, it's their landlord that pays directly the, the membership levy, uh, not them. So uh, there was a real refocus in, in making sure people knew they were members uh, and getting them uh, better engaged. And, and Jennifer, you were a big part of that. Um, so we just want to maybe just um, talk a bit about the the role he played um, in, in getting us refocused back on the members.
3: It certainly began under Gordon Stevens, who was board chair before me. Um, I guess the first meaningful thing we did was relocate our offices from... A floor in a building. I don't even know what floor it was. I usually didn't know what floor it was, um, so not at all accessible to, to the membership. So, so moved from there to a ground floor um, storefront uh, on Barrington Street and uh, and began to host regular events with members. Um, I think a, a key a key shift was in the hiring of CUDA, the amazing CUDA, the membership services manager. Um, CUDA's leadership and and the refocusing of the organization, I think um, DHBC is doing a much better job of connecting with the membership. And and if you don't have uh, an active conversation with the members, then you're not representing them. So I think it is kind of an important pivot for the organization, and it's, um, in my view, um, the the quality of of those relationships that have now been developed through these changes is is being reflected in the strategic plan. Front
0: one, downtown placemaking. Um, and I would say this was the most, it wasn't the most controversial uh, of the five, but it was probably the most difficult one to, to really land on because it encompassed uh, a number of things. We had to figure out what, you know, what are we going to call this. Uh, placemaking is, I don't want to call it a buzzword, but it's, it's, a, it's a fairly new word in a lot of people's lexicon. Uh, it's often misunderstood or people have different ideas about what placemaking is. Uh, and even in our own industry, uh, the language has changed significantly over the past couple of years. We talk a lot more about the profession of place management and placemaking. Uh, So I'll start with with Jennifer um, on this one. So the Waterfront Development Corporation changed its name uh, to develop Nova Scotia. Uh, Your new mandate speaks a lot to this idea of
5: placemaking.
3: It's pretty simple. Uh, Placemaking is about building places with people. So we've talked about not building places for cars. We're we're thinking about people first, and we're building these places with the people uh, for whom they are being built. Um, Some people use the analogy of um, a, a house becomes a home in the same way a space uh, is a, becomes a place. So it's people that, that give it meaning. Um, and what, what we're really focused on is how, pl- how important place is as a key strategy for economic development. Um, there's a recent, um, it's not recent, it was probably probably almost ten years ago now, there's a study, a CEO for City study, um, that, that said two-thirds of uh, college-educated uh, graduates we're, looking, um, we're choosing the place they wanted to live uh, before they look for a job. Uh, in Nova Scotia, our biggest challenge is attracting young people, and, if, and I find that, that statistic uh, absolutely compelling. So Halifax has an awful lot of really great assets. We're by the sea. We have this beautiful rural-urban balance. Um, It's relatively affordable, where a lot of Canadian cities are well overheated in the housing market uh, for young people and for entrepreneurs. Uh, There's lots of post-secondary concentration here. Um, There's really a lot of fabulous things going for this city, and I think it is the time of the mid-sized city um, for attracting young people. Um, And so I think investment in place, um, as As developed Nova Scotia's new mandate directs us to do um, is a really important strategy for for growing our population and economy.
5: Every city, every downtown has got to resonate for the for the residents first and foremost. And if the residents are enjoying it, the visitors will surely do so as well. And I think that's the bottom line. If our downtown is being made for our residents, surely to goodness, the visitors will enjoy it as well.
0: Okay, thank you very much. That's the end of the, uh, the questions I have.
2: We also took the opportunity at the AGM to chat with a few of our members. They included in order Erica Pellerin with Discover Halifax, Aaron Ishuk-Prime with Events East, Joe McGuinness from Legendary Hospitality, Ken Kelly with IDA Canada, Marianne Thompson of Alexa Pope, and Rhea Koivu with C Sports Entertainment Atlantic. Here are some of their thoughts on being located downtown, our new strategic plan, and more. My name is Erica Pellerin. I'm the VP of Marketing and Visitor Experience for Discover Halifax. And Discover Halifax is the, um, the tourism organization, the official tourism organization for the Halifax Regional Municipality.
1: So how important is downtown to what you do in promoting Halifax? I
2: don't even know if there's a word to say how important it is. It is
1: critically important. Um, there The the benefit of the whole region is that we
2: have so many diverse experiences, but the urban core and the energy with Argyle and even Spring Garden and downtown and all that it encompasses is really the vibrancy of what Halifax is really about. It really is the heartbeat of the region, and we cannot underscore how important it is in for events and for our main attractions. I mean, it, it goes on and on, but it is truly, truly important.
6: My name is Erin Ishak Prime, uh, and I'm the director of marketing and communications at of NC. How is it important to be downtown? Well, we manage the Halifax Convention Center and Scotiabank Center, and for us, location is everything. So being right in the heart of downtown Halifax is amazing. Um, our guests, our delegates, conference planners for the convention center, they all love the fact that you can meet inside and then spread out and, and get that real authentic experience in Halifax just steps outside of the convention center. And for Scotiabank Center, it's amazing when we have an event, the energy downtown. So whether it's a moosehead game or a concert, all of those people spill right out onto downtown Halifax and get to experience all of our amazing restaurants and bars and shops. Um, and it's, it's really unique, I think, to Halifax and something we are so
5: proud to be a part of.
6: So we have Joe McGinnis with Legendary Hospitality. So how important is it for all your,
1: your, all your businesses are downtown? How, why is that important to be downtown?
5: Downtown, uh, downtown is where the action is. I mean, there, there, there's no doubt that this is the epicenter of a fantastically growing city. Um, Uh, Also, we see that uh, with the Convention Centre, with the development that's happening downtown, with the position on the waterfront, and uh, this is where most people are, and they're looking for a variety of different shopping, dining uh, experiences, and uh, basically we just see this as a good place to do business.
1: We're here with Ken Kelly, he's with IDA Canada, so Ken, uh, why are you here at the AGM for Downtown Halifax Business Commission?
5: Because I think it's an absolute model of other BIAs in the country. The commission has been around forever. The team is remarkable. They are so conversant with not only their own city, but what's going on across Canada, around the world. They're committed, they're engaged, and they're truly representative of the businesses and the property owners who are downtown Halifax.
1: So you're going to be on our panel today at the AGM, and so you had a little bit of a sneak peek at our strategic plan. So what do you think about it?
5: I think it's an excellent strategic plan, but what I truly enjoy is your mission. You say that we want to passionately pursue a more prosperous and vibrant downtown. You know what? I think I'm old enough to say you're not going to get anywhere unless you're passionate about something in your life. And I think for the commission to be saying we want to be passionate about our downtown conveys something that is, you know, really really important. It, it sort of resonates with the constituents, but for anybody who happens to see that mission, it goes, oh, these people are serious.
6: So could you introduce yourself and tell us about your company? Yeah, absolutely. So my name's Mary Ann Thompson, and I own Alexa Pope Clothing, and we're down at Bishop's
2: Landing on the waterfront. So we're a women's clothing and accessories store. Um, We've been uh, down in our location now for about three and a half years. um, And we just did a renovation back in
6: January. So we've got a nice, big, beautiful store and we're really excited for the summer, so yeah. How important is, is it for Alexa Pope to be downtown? Oh, I mean, it's everything. I think, I think at the end of the day, you've got to kind of create your own niche. Um, but the number of people that we get walking by, just general foot traffic, um, and just knowing that we're
2: kind of in the downtown core is so appealing and attractive to people. So sort of being part of the downtown Halifax community, especially with all this growth happening, is really, really important for us.
3: I'm Raya Koivu, and I'm with Sports and Entertainment Atlantic. Why is it important to have events downtown?
2: Yeah, so whenever we pitch for events and the attraction of bringing these great athletes here is the city. So the big selling point for us is that as those athletes are here for the week, because Halifax is such a tight-knit community, the athletes kind of get to take over the city for that week. And for them, that is something they don't get anywhere else when they go for events. So they feel really special having all the local businesses downtown engaged in the event, partnering with the event. They're constantly exploring downtown, and and now that we have the Wanderer's Grounds, they're playing their matches downtown. Um, so really the the hub of any of the events that we've been bringing here is downtown Halifax. We would like to thank Jennifer Angel, Jacob Ritchie, and Ken Kelly for participating in our panel discussion at our 2019 AGM. And we would also like to thank our interviewees for letting us put them on the spot and interview them during our AGM. And if you're interested, you can listen to the full recording of the panel discussion from our 2019 AGM on our website. Go to downtownhalifax.ca slash podcast and look for the link under Episode 4. Leading with Transit is a community-based
1: initiative sponsored by more than 20 public, private, institutional, and NGO partners. This grassroots movement is advocating for a bold vision for the future of public transit, Their mission is to make transit the first and best choice for getting around in HRM. Frank Palermo is a former professor from Dalhousie University's School of Planning and is the director of the Cities and Environment Unit based in the Faculty of Architecture and Planning at Dalhousie University. He is one of the founding members of Leading with Transit and he will be talking to us about how a long-term strategy and investment is needed for transit in HRM. Hi, Frank. Thanks for joining us. So first of all, why leading with transit? Why was it important for the group to form?
7: It's something that I think uh, expresses the huge need that there is in this community and in many communities for a longer term view of where it is that uh, the community is going and a sense that you know, the future doesn't just happen to us as citizens, you know, that someone else isn't always in control, that we have no say in what it is that goes on, that once every four years we get to vote for somebody, but then, you know, we kind of lose track of what it is that that was done, or we're frequently told that the things that we as individuals believe in, you know, are kind of like too long-term because the election cycle is four years or whatever it is. So, in a way, this is about a community taking charge of trying to shape its own long term future. And in this way, it's an idea about the community taking a kind of leadership role, having a voice in terms of the kind of city that we want to live in, the community that we want to build, the quality of life that we're aspiring to, all all of those sorts of things. And and it's a kind of an understanding that says, you know, even for the politicians and others, the future doesn't just happen to us. You know, we can actually make it happen. We can actually shape the way that the future happens. And this is one of those kind of important moments, I think, in this community, for the community to come together to actually take a step in the direction of shaping its own future.
1: So the community has come together, you know, for leading with transit and we've done uh, leading with transit has done workshops and downtown Halifax Business Commission has been involved with leading leading with transit But what are some of the goals that have come out of those uh, public engagement sessions?
7: Yeah, the goals have both come out of the public engagement sessions and and more uh, intense kind of meetings that you and others mm-hmm. have been involved in, yes, in yeah. kind of trying to make sense of what we're hearing and see it in a kind of more holistic way. You know, so so I I think I think what's come out is one huge idea is that transit is the key to the way that we grow and the vision that we have for HRM. Now that's a huge idea that I don't think we started with, but we've actually ended up with. The transit is the key to our future in terms of the kind of place that we want to build, the community that we want to build, you know, etc. And that idea of, you know, our growth depending on what we do with transit and the decisions that we make, the long-term decisions that we make r- right now. I think that's one of the really large goals that's that's come out of all of that, um, the other is that you know, and I think we went in with some of this, but it 's been reinforced you know through the uh, through the working with the community, is the idea that transit really has to lead, that we go have to go from a notion of public transit kind of follows where development has happened to an idea that says this is the community that we want, this is the way we want to be connected to each other, this is the way we want to have access to services and you know that is instrumental in terms of deciding where development grow- goes, what the density is in different areas and how it is that the development and uh, land use and transit actually kind of fit together and, and in that sense we have to have an idea about public transit and we certainly need that relative to some of the smaller immediate decisions that we make like what we're doing on the Cogswell interchange for instance is very dependent on the way that we see transit actu- actually working and we might make different decisions if we had a real kind of Long-term transit plan, we might have made much different decisions on that, and that's come out like really clearly in, in working working uh, on this.
1: And I think some people would think that's a pretty radical concept, like hence the title, leading with transit. Like transit is actually leading development rather than development leading transit.
7: Absolutely, absolutely. And that
1: came from all this engagement and intense meetings and all of that. And all the
7: intense meetings mm-hmm. that, that that have happened.
1: So we've heard why it's important. So let's change gears a little bit and talk about some of the guiding principles. I know that with all these uh, public engagements and uh, meetings, uh, there are certain guiding principles that came out of the discussions. Can you walk us through that? Yeah, yeah,
7: yeah. I, I think... I think one of the things that we found, you know, in uh, thinking about transit in this kind of deeper way was that, uh, in fact, it's important to define and understand what it is that we want transit to do, you know, what it is that we expect of a really great transit system. But, but the seven ideas are really to do with one, reliable, that, it, that is, you should be able, you know, when you go and wait for a transit vehicle to, to, to come, to take to take you somewhere, you should be able to know that it's really coming and, that it, and in the most urban parts of our environment to know that it's coming without having a schedule for it. That's what we mean by reliable. We mean that it's going to be there and you don't need to know that it runs every 20 minutes or whatever it is. It's going to just be there within five or 10 minutes at the That very would be most a
6: dream, actually.
2: That that's what
7: <laughs> I transit, would take trans that's all the time. What great transit mm, is yeah. really about. So we need this kind of skeletal main system in, in all of this, certainly in urban areas, to have that quality to it. Um, unless we do that, you know, I don't think I could be convinced, you know, that I don't need a car at all. I'm pretty close to it, but I can't be convinced unless I can really see transit being that reliable. The, that's also what we mean by this idea of frequent that the frequency you know with which you know the, the transit comes to a particular station place you know etc is based on an overall idea that connects it to all sorts of other systems that work like how far away you know the the walk is you know from the farthest point where somebody might work to, 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 to get to the station that they're actually interested in going to how bicycle routes are kind of connect, connected to it, you know, might affect the frequency in, in which in which it works. That's the true because some
1: people may be going to, uh, from point A to point B in different, using different modes of transportation, Absolutely. not just
7: Absolutely. by one Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We all, we, none of us start on a transit vehicle, much like, you know, none of us really start in a car either. I know some people have a car in their garage and basically don't step outside, you know, in terms of doing that. But usually at the other end there is a little bit of stepping outside and becoming and being on your feet, right? So all of us start, you know, on foot, you know, on on somebody's hand, or you know, being pulled by someone, or pushed by someone, you know, or or you know, peddling, you know, in one way or another to to get where where we want. So from that point of view, you know, this this kind of frequency has to be dependent on all of those things and the local kind of systems that there are that really kind of get people to to that station and make the whole system work. So so this idea of frequency is really is really important. It, it has to to be efficient in the sense that we don't want people particularly in the central part of the city you know it it it's like it would be a shame if people thought that transit was this kind of through service which is the way that we frequently think about it right now that is that it goes through the central part of the city but it's not really serving the central part of the city because I know that when I'm looking for a bus in the central part of the city, I have a lot of trouble knowing where the bus is going, I have a lot of trouble knowing when it's coming again, and I have a lot of trouble kind of understanding how close it's actually going to get me to to where I want to go. It should be efficient in the sense that I really should know all of those things because the route should be really simple, that it should actually connect to places that I know and understand, and it should be, you know, in order to be that efficient that it should probably be on its own alignment you know it shouldn't be competing with other traffic because that starts to affect all the other things that I've said right. about transit already and it needs to be reliable in good weather and bad weather and efficient and really work in all of those, all of those kinds mm-hmm. kinds of situations right. The other things maybe i 'll just mention what the sure. words are so sure. it should be accessible mm-hmm. in the sense of not just being for the rich and people that have a lot of money, you know, all of that sort of, and also accessible in terms of people being able to roll on, find a way of, you know, finding their way in the system, even though they might have mobility or other issues kind of of associated with them. Um, That it should be passenger centric, that is that we should actually be thinking much more about all of the things the transit could be used for, as opposed to it has a kind of single thing you know to get you from here to here, it might have to get you from here to here with uh baby stroller. It might have to get you from here to here with a stop in the middle, you know, to leave something off somewhere. It may have to get you from here to here with a whole bunch of parcels or goods. It may have to get it out, etc. You know, it, it's like that really we should be thinking about the whole passenger experience and designing this because we have an opportunity to do it ourselves, designing the system so that it really is for people as opposed to it works really fantastically well as a system, but for me as an individual, you know, I can't really use it because I have an extra stop yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know. So so really it's it's that that idea that, that's really important. Another mm-hmm. thing that I that I think, you know, maybe I will spend another minute on Absolutely. is the idea of permanence. Mm-hmm. That, that is that it needs to be permanent. That is a distinguishing kind of characteristic of public transit that really works around the world. That is, that we don't say, this is the route, but tomorrow we may decide, because development has gone somewhere else, or because there aren't enough riders on this route today, you know, we may decide that the route is actually going somewhere else. It should be permanent because, first of all, we want to build this view of how it works, which has to be pretty complete. Secondly, we want development to actually invest in the right places, development to actually be in the right places, which is where the transit is going. And we want that development to actually help us pay for the transit they're not going to be willing to do that if the system isn't seen as permanent, long term, it's going to be there, there's transit right in front of you, you should actually contribute to building it, making it, contributing to it in, in some fund- fundamental ways. So this idea of permanence is really, really very, very significant in, in, in this in this process. And the and the last thing is that it's about placemaking. That these aren't just signs that are going to be put on the street that says transit stop, but that the transit stop is actually a place, you know, the, it, it's about placemaking, and it's about making those places really exciting, interesting, with the services that you need, the right kind of services being located there, so even if you're there in the middle of the night, it's a place that's kind of safe and alive and real and etc., and if you're there in the middle of the day, maybe while you're waiting or beyond waiting for the next transit vehicle to come that, that you actually do something kind of at, at, at the same time while you're waiting. So so all of those things, I think, are really significant kind of aspects of, you know, what it is that we would consider the principles. I'm starting to think of them a bit like performance standards that we should actually set. Like
3: best know. practices. Yeah, like kind best of, practices
7: yeah. kind kind of thing. And work, you know, in the next a year or so On really understanding what what it is that that means on the ground. So for instance right now, I think that what it means is that we're not just talking about more buses and putting buses everywhere, that we're actually talking about light rail as the thing to do if we're really thinking about it in the long term and thinking about it in this way in terms of what it is that these performance standards are, are, are trying to do and that we're thinking about not having routes everywhere but having really clearly defined roots main roots in, in all of this that we can all kind of remember, know be, it becomes part of our daily lives, you know, to, to actually you know, maybe you uh, change from a very local kind of bus or bicycle or walking or whatever it is you know to the point where we get on the transit system and and then arrive at our destination kind of at at the other end and go through a a similar kind of experience in terms of using the city in in that way and experiencing the city in in that way so i so i think all of all of those things are embedded in these in these principles and and certainly we need help, you know, from other people to help us to define, you know, what those things are, are really about, and then we need to kind of design the system ourselves so that so really those things shine.
3: So
1: we will have a link to the uh, guiding principles on the Leading with Transit website, so we'll link from our podcast to to that so people That's will great. find out more about it. I, I think it's very clear that the community needs to get involved with this, and uh, there are several ways that they can. And I know that just because we have the inside track, full disclosure, downtown Halifax Business Commission is involved with Leading with Transit. Uh, there are several committees that are, have been formed uh, through Leading with Transit. Uh, one is communications, one is uh, community engagement, and uh, finance, and concept. So there are several different com- committees that people can actually join sure. and be involved, like having a very concrete kind of you know, plan uh, and approach to uh, getting involved with this, as well as showing up and participating in all the, the public engagement sessions that uh, Leading with Transit will be holding uh, this year. So,
7: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you so much, Frank, for your time. I, that was a great discussion.
7: Well, thank you, thank you. It's a, I think it's a great discussion and and um, and it's an important moment.
1: Yeah, I think it's more than just discussion too, because we there's action. We're actually there's going doing to be action. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
2: Thank you so much, Frank. Thank you. Frank Palermo is a former professor from Dalhousie University School of Planning and is the director of the Cities and Environments Unit based in the Faculty of Architecture and Planning at Dalhousie University. He is one of the founding members of Leading with Transit. For more information on Leading with Transit and to hear our full interview with Frank, visit downtownhalifax.ca slash podcast. And we will have links posted there to Leading with Transit's website and social media sites, and to Frank's full interview.
0: And now for BizBuzz.
1: And now we have Ethan Craig with BizBuzz. He's our Communications and Marketing Coordinator with Downtown Halifax Business Commission, and he has four highlights for this week.
8: Yeah, so let's get right into it. We uh, finally have a dog daycare in Downtown Halifax. Dogtopia opened its doors on September 30th down at 1475 Hollis Street. They offer everything your furry family member needs with war-winning dog daycare, overnight weekend and holiday boarding, and spa services. They've got a great promotion on now where your dog's first day is completely free. So yeah, bring your dog on down and get some spa services, which is, uh, that sounds pretty awesome.
1: I don't have a dog but maybe i'll just go and get a random dog because <laughs> it really makes me want to yeah. bring a dog in because mm-hmm. it sounds so awesome yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. cool what's up next
8: next we've got uh, sparkles and sawdust they have reopened its doors uh, to the public and is now an art center offering a variety of art classes and workshops exclusively for adults Um it was formerly an art gallery but after some restructuring they've shifted to offer classes for artists of all skill levels They also offer private bookings for folks who are celebrating a special occasion or for businesses looking to do some team building. They're still at the same location, 1574 Argyle Street, just above the Bitter End Cocktail Bar.
2: It's nice to see
1: Sparkles and Sawdust come back. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were closed for a little while, but uh, I'm glad they reopened and restructured. They yeah. realized what they want to do now, mm-hmm. and
2: uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited really
1: about them being an art center.
2: Yeah. It's interesting to mm-hmm. see. It'll be interesting to see how they develop and grow. Yeah, because yeah. they're really yeah. focusing on, like, yeah.
1: team building for, you know, businesses and mm-hmm. parties and, and art classes, <coughs> which is great. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, next up.
8: On to the Lower Deck Pub. Back in September, they celebrated 45 years in operation. That's That's pretty impressive. That is really (laughs) impressive. 45 years of great food, great beer, and local entertainment, seven nights a week. We recently found out that our executive director, Paul, actually shares a birthday with the lower deck, and he tweeted out that, and these are his words, not mine, depressingly, they are three years younger than he is. (laughs) Uh, So we'll we'll leave it at that and let you do the math on that one, but uh, a big congratulations going out to, to the lower deck for that milestone. Yeah, the it, lower deck
2: really is like uh, oh, it's
8: an institution. An institution, <laughs> it, <laughs> it is. Kind of, yes, yeah.
2: I think everyone who lives here goes, but then also visitors go. So it's it's mm-hmm. really good, a good place for everyone to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and it's uh, really popular with students, obviously, and yes. uh, so yeah, and the uh, older
2: crowd, and the older
1: crowd. Oh yes, <laughs> yes, especially if you're forty-five. Especially if you're forty-five. <laughs> so yeah, congratulations, happy birthday to the lower deck.
8: Mm-hmm. And now in other business-related news, uh, Smarter Spaces has moved locations from Grafton Street to 1871 Hollis Street in uh, Suite 310. So Smarter Spaces is a space management and relocation specialist consulting group, that is a mouthful, specializing in mobile 3D laser scanning, computer-aided design space planning, and fire evacuation mapping. I I guess it's safe to say that they found a Smarter Space for themselves oh boy <laughs> <Nice time.
2: laughs> golf clap Yep. Well golf done. clap <laughs> <laughs> thanks ethan that's great that's <laughs> exciting there's some good things happening yeah
8: yeah thanks so much for having me guys i'll be back in two weeks with some more biz buzz thanks
2: okay. ethan. yeah
1: thanks
0: the coast top five events
2: And now it's time for the Coast Top 5 Events with Morgan Mullen, the Arts and Entertainment Editor at the Coast, Halifax's Weekly. Hey, Morgan, how's it going? Hello, I am well. How are you this week? Good, welcome to Episode 4.
6: I know, how is it that we've done this four times already? I know. Um, Every time I feel like maybe I'm a little bit more polished and then... (laughs) As I but start I talking, I realize I am not. We but anyway, the no, you're always <laughs> polished, Morgan. I, I appreciate the vote of confidence, Ivy. <laughs> so um, let's talk
2: about what's on for the weeks of October 22nd to November 4th.
6: Yes, okay. So uh, one thing that I'm really excited about, so this falls during the Halifax Pop Explosion, which is always a super fun festival. A lot of different shows with that that are going to be a good time, but one in particular that I'm excited about is Hawaii Mighty is going to be opening for the Arkells at the Scotiabank Centre on October 26th. That whole show sounds like a lot of fun, and... All the artists involved are interesting, but what's really exciting to me is Havai Mighty just won the Polaris Prize uh, for her new record, 13th Floor. She's the first hip-hop act to win the Polaris. She's also the first black woman to win the Polaris, so it's really exciting wow. that she's coming here like this quickly after winning such a prestigious thing. And also, I saw her at Savvy Fest this summer, and it's just a, a really like a really fun party <laughs> that she puts on when she does this. show. And so. where is she from? Uh, she's from the uh, greater Toronto area. Okay. Yeah. yeah I don't she's know i have to look her up one-third of the lady hip-hop supergroup The Sorority, who also put oh. a great record earlier this year. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So she's very cool. Definitely have to check her out. Yeah. Yeah, I think <laughs> I just uh, felt like I got a little bit cooler just by listening <laughs> to you, Morgan. Because <laughs> I have
7: no idea
1: <laughs> <laughs> what these little acts are. But, yeah. no, it's great. To,
6: I'm going to look them up as well. Yeah, she's a great lady MC. She's a, she's a lot fun. So I think that's going to be very cool. Another thing on my list is, of course, Hal Kahn, which happens at the Convention yes. Center from October 25th to the 27th. I feel like that's another form of coolness that I don't really know a ton about, but I recognize from the outside that they have a lot of interesting people who, yes. who come and like give talks and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, that's a, a fun thing to like, if you are into a particular, like I know sometimes they have different people from like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or like different like comic book artists or things like that. Yeah. So like if you have a specific interest, I feel like you find your people. At House yes, so I, I, think so I think so too. Yeah. And
2: they have grown so much over the past couple Super of years. Super true. Yeah, yeah incredibly. Um, the
6: first year I remember it's like,
1: what is
2: this? And yeah. then
1: just more and more people came to it Ooh, every year. And it's nice
2: to see the downtown Halifax area kind of embrace it now. Yes, you know, totally, businesses yeah. get into it mm-hmm. and other organizations. And they close the street down. For, like They close Argyle down. and mm-hmm. yeah. Um so and it's becoming it, yeah. yeah it's becoming less and less of a subculture and yes, more true. Mainstream. mainstream. Yes.
1: Mainstream,
6: yeah. I was talking to a woman a month or two ago who was telling me that she had already started her Halcon costume. Wow. Apparently people yeah. prep for months which I think oh, is yeah. really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And she was telling me about like all the things you have to do to get your wig ready for it which sounds like, <laughs> I I wish that I could be that dedicated to anything. But well, anyway, we took pictures <laughs> last year of
2: the uh, Iron Man. Man does the Iron Man. Man and yeah, he makes the costumes in his apartment, and I think he uses like foam and cardboard and paint, and they are amazing. They look realistic. Awesome. They look yeah. like metal. They're amazing. So he
6: makes them, he's working them for years, and then I think he sells some of them, and yeah, he's pretty awesome. That's so interesting. I love that. Yeah. Oh, yay. I think it's so important to have hobbies, and I love that these people are just like out there being themselves, because we need more of that in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Another thing on my list was uh, Obladi is having a wine yoga event, which I think looks fun. Mm -hmm. So it's different uh, tastings of different types of wine, and also some nice, stretchy, relaxing times, and that's on October 27th. I I hope that's after the the yoga. I I mean, I assume. (laughs) (laughs) As someone who always feels like I'm going to fall over and downward dog, I feel like the only (laughs) responsible way would be to like stretch out your spine. Then, then, then and do some the city stuff yeah. afterwards. Yes. Yeah. 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 So another thing on my list is the Kyber Night Flea. So this is a an event that the Kyber does on occasion where um, it's a nighttime market, kind of based off of the nighttime markets that happen uh, in large cities in Asia. You can see all kinds of different uh, vendors who are like selling like fine art things, and then there's also usually uh, different kinds of experiences. Um, I know in the past they've had like people who are doing haircuts. There you can have your tarot read. Like all kinds of different interesting ways to engage with uh, the artistic community on the 20th. Second,
1: And that's in the Space. Yes,
6: that's correct. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a little bit of spill out onto the street mm-hmm. as well, depending on how packed it is. So, oh, nice. Yeah, so that's usually a good time. Uh, another event on my list is called Light in the Forest, which is happening on November 2nd. And it's a multimedia theater production by Holly Carr. Uh, they're billing it as a real-time experience of hope and the restorative power of art, nature, light, and the forest, uh, which is, I think wholesome and wonderful sounding and kind of what we all need in our hearts at this time, and that's happening at St. Matthew's United Church.
2: Yeah, that sounds interesting. Yeah.
6: And a great venue for it, too. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful church inside. Definitely, yeah. yeah. So I think uh, having multimedia kind of going off all those, uh, like all the different, what do you call the, the... and and ceilings, that Pillars, ah. yeah. I don't know. I want to say frescoes, but I don't, I don't think, think that's, that's right. <laughs> that is an
1: architectural term, but I don't
2: think that it applies Arches. To the the <laughs> swoopy parts of a yeah. church
6: ceiling. I think it'll complement that and look really cool, yeah.
2: <laughs> and you mentioned the Halifax Pop Explosion. Yeah. When is that taking place?
6: Yeah. Uh, Halifax Pop Explosion is happening from October 23rd to October 26th in a host of different venues around town. It's always a good time. There's yeah. always all kinds of different uh, music that's happening and at different times of day and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So no matter what kind of genre you're into, there's something, something that will appeal. Yeah, so. for everyone. Yeah. Exciting. definitely.
2: Okay, so I have a few other events coming up. So the Art Gallery of Nova Scotia is having a kids' night out, Glow On In, on oh. Thursday, October 24th, from 6.30 to 8 p.m. So this is an evening of glowing adventures. I guess you could create your own twilight creature puppet, and then you can watch it transform as they light it up inside or something. Anyway, this it sounds, sounds really amazing. interesting. And then you're welcome to take a self-guided tour of the gallery. So the next day, October 25th, is a PD day for schools. Oh. It's a great night out yeah. for kids.
6: This is like the best way to kickstart. You take your child and their best friend to this and then have a sleepover. That that's would right. be like the most fun thing. That would be
2: <laughs> really fun for the kids. Yeah. Maybe not for the parents.
6: <laughs> I think if they brought the right <laughs> spirit really of adventure, it would be Yes, exciting. And it goes
2: into that Halloween weekend, which is yeah. right. And mm-hmm. the gallery is free on Thursday nights. because It's part of their BMO Free Access Thursdays, so that's Definitely. So a good reason to go. Mm-hmm. The Discovery Center has a bunch of stuff going on for Halloween, uh, the weekend of October 26th and 27th. So they have their annual spooktacular science Halloween party on October 26th and 27th from mm-hmm. 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. So they have family-friendly experiments, eye-popping demos. They have costume contests, Halloween crafts, etc. And that's, that's all included with the uh, regular admission price. Mm. And then on the evening of October 26th, which is also the Saturday, they have Science, Spirits, and Booze. So this is an adult-only event. You have to be 19-plus to go. They will have all four floors open, and they have interactive fun, hands-on experiments, costume
6: contests, a DJ, a cash bar. I want to say people go hard at these events. Like, (laughs) they did one for (laughs) Halloween last year, and I went, and I was, like, the only person in a lazy costume. Yes,
2: I think people get really done up. They do. So I'm definitely, like,
6: I I just put on, like, a cowboy hat, and I was like, okay. that's yeah. my costume. <laughs> and everybody else had real costumes. I was like, I should, I should have applied yeah, myself a little more. 100. So, yeah. yeah.
2: But that makes it part of the fun. It, it is. is. Yeah. It is really fun.
6: Definitely. And
2: it's a great way to do something fun
6: for Halloween that's a little bit different. Yeah, if you're tired of, like, the bar thing. Which, like, yeah. the bar thing can be great, but if you're not in a bar kind of mood, then yes. go to this. Or, or you can do
2: both. You could go you to can totally the Discovery Center and then go to a bar. Exactly. And the tickets are only about $20 with tax for a fun evening out. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then my last thing I just want to touch on really quick is the Halifax Citadel National Historic Site has ghost tours
6: mm. on uh,
2: Thursday, Fridays, and Saturdays until October 26th. Nice. So they begin at 8.30pm at the front entrance kiosk. They're about $14 with tax, $10 for seniors and students. So you basically take a journey into the haunted history of the Halifax Citadel. Nice. You Care have a guide with on. a lantern and they take you down to like the prison cells and Ooh. through all the dark areas. So I,
6: I'd love to do one. I haven't done one yet. Mm-hmm. So every year I'm like, this
2: is going to be the year that I do it.
6: You have to go, and then you have to tell me if, as a very large chicken, <laughs> I can handle it. Yeah, same here. I, I would like, probably mm, also <laughs> <I> do it. <laughs>
2: I don't know about this ghost tour thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a scary. Yeah, in the summer, it wouldn't be as bad because it doesn't get dark until so late. But That's like, oh yeah, super early. It'll yeah. be dark
1: yeah. at like five o'clock. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So you do
2: have to book your tickets in advance. So go to Advent Bright and search Halifax Citadel Ghost Tours. Mm. so yes lots of things going on
6: I love that that's so many fun different ways to celebrate Halloween too yes yeah yeah,
2: lots of fun things so uh, thanks Morgan thank you we'll see you next time sounds great that was Morgan Mullen the arts and entertainment editor at The Coast she will be joining us every episode to let us know what is happening in downtown Halifax for more information on events visit downtownhalifax.ca or thecoast.ca
0: and now for some shameless self-promotion
2: it's time for shameless self-promotion So the Halifax Lights Festival is coming up this year. The festival is taking place from November 30th to December 7th. So we have a variety of family-friendly activities that will be taking place during that week. We're still in the process of planning, but we have confirmed a few things, including the big sing.
1: I love the big sing. Uh,
2: Yes. Even though I
1: don't sing, I
6: love the big sing. (laughs) It's
2: fun to watch. It is fun to watch. Um, So we're doing that again on Argyle Street under the Canopy Lights just right in front of Dirty Nellie's, and that is taking place on Tuesday, December 3rd. And how many people did we have last year? Like 200 people? I think we had it closer to 300. Oh, wow. We printed off 200 uh, booklets of the lyrics, and we gave all of those out.
1: Yeah, it was There's a fun. really good crowd last It was year. really nice.
2: I'm hoping that we have... Um, Good weather, knock on wood. Mm-hmm. We're also having ice sculptures again in Cornwallis Park on December 7th. Uh, so we didn't do those last year. We we did them the year before, and, and this year we're having them, and we're going to try to light them up in the evening, so they should look really nice. Um, the Discovery Center is joining us this year, and they're going to be doing some fun winter-themed hands-on activities in Cornwallis Park on both November 3rd and December 7th.
1: So on December 4th, we're actually hosting an event in the Downtown Halifax Business Commission front space at 1546 Barrington Street. Uh, The event is called Holidays Around the World, where we will be featuring holiday treats and foods from around the globe. Last year was our first time, and we featured dumplings, Mediterranean rice, an African chicken dish, teas, and sweets. Uh, It's free and open to the public, and again, it's on December 4th around lunchtime, and in our front space at 1546 Barrington Street. It's a deliciously good time.
2: Yeah, it was a nice event that we did last year, um, just an opportunity to see how other cultures celebrate, celebrate. with food. Yeah, celebrate Their with food. Yeah. And it's not just Christmas, it's any type of holiday That's all year right. round, because some other cultures, they don't necessarily
3: celebrate. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah, so it was really fun last year, uh, lots of good food, so we recommend coming to that. And then we also have our carolers. They'll be singing around downtown throughout the month of December, again this year. So yeah, stay tuned as we yeah. uh, as we plan up the rest of the festival we should have the complete list of activities ready to share in our next episode.
1: Huh? Yeah, it's uh, the East Coast Carolers. And, yes. uh, yeah, we've had them around downtown for a number of years now. Yes. Always a favorite. And they in the
2: Victorian. They, they do. It, so they're, yeah. they're really nice. They look good. And if your business or organization would like to get involved in the festival, or if you're planning a holiday event during the time frame of the festival, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. So when is the festival? The official dates? It's November 30th to December 7th. Great. Cool. So, yes, our 2019 downtown Halifax holiday gift guide is completed. It has been sent off to the printers. It will be inserted in the November 14th issue of The Coast. Thank you to all our members and businesses who participated in the guide this year. And if you did participate in the guide, you will be getting a package with about 10 copies of the guide plus a special light to display in your front window to show that you're in the guide sometime in early November. So someone from our office will be coming around with that package sometime within the next couple of weeks. And again, we'll be doing some giveaways and social promotion around the guide and also as part of our Halifax Lights Festival. So again, stay tuned. Lots of exciting things coming up. You've been listening to Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission. Find us on social media at Downtown Halifax. If you like what you've heard, please share your thoughts using hashtag DowntownLowdown. For more information and links, visit DowntownHalifax.ca.